listening to the Medic Materials Podcast, hosted by Mike Turek, Emily Yates, Kelsey Coons, and Gerard Cuomo. Each month, we discuss EMS news, medical science, and review actual EMS calls, bringing many educational opportunities to the listener. Portions of the calls have been altered to protect the privacy and identity of all involved. Hello and welcome everyone back to the Medic Materials Podcast. Mr. Piglet. Phil Foundation. In the house today. Let's drop Phil's intro. Can you actually hear the intro now with all the new equipment and stuff? Oh, it's so nice. I am am loving this new boom arm. I treated myself, gave you the hand-me-down, Phil. Sorry. Well, I I didn't have any, like, older siblings get hand-me-downs from, so it's, like, the same thing. All right. Well, that doesn't make me feel that bad, then. (laughs) Uh, Mr. Maha, how are you, sir? Oh, I've had better days, but doing pretty good. I guess that's fair. Got, got a few extra days off from work, but, you know. Hey, that's always a plus. I mean, you can't uh, you can't be too hard on yourself when you are on vacation, even if it's a forced vacation or whatever. So, it's weird that it's Tuesday. Why are you stroking that mushroom? <laughs> I, got, I, got a, I got a friend with me, see? I know, right? It's like, it's so weird because you can't see the puppy. It yeah. literally looks like you're stroking the mushroom shaft. You like, yep, just keep on doing it. <laughs> it's pleasure. It's pleasurable to me. <laughs> oh, gotta love it. Um, so we're gonna be uh, we're gonna be talking about um. Uh, we're going to have a discussion about a, a patient population that I think we we have fairly neglected here on the show for a long time. And um, that is those with special challenges. So, you know, your, your MR patients, your, you know, weird LVAD patients, your super obese patients, right? Your, your difficult airway patients, or maybe they have an airway device at home and stuff like that. So I think bringing up this this kind of, uh, you know, discussion is going to be beneficial because we can kind of, you know, throw ideas around about different ways that we uh, should be evaluating these patients or maybe treating these patients or just, you know, kind of dealing with these patients. Um, so I think it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting discussion uh, overall, I've been, I've been waiting to have this. I was hoping we could do like a call review for a, uh, a special patient, uh, that just didn't happen in the time frame. but I think this will, this will also lend itself to some good information. So, uh, before we get started, I will do Kelsey's job since she's not here again today and, um, I will do our rig check. So, uh, guys, we have seen a record number of downloads of this podcast recently um and as we near a fucking miraculous 20,000 downloads of this show um 
I want to urge each of you to continue to spread the word about this show. It has been wonderful what you guys have been doing, sharing across social media. Keep it up. Um, tell your friends, your coworkers, put it on in your truck. Make your partner listen to it while you're on standby or going to a call. Um, what better way to get ready for a cardiac arrest than to hear us? I think that would be hilarious. That should be like the new, you know, Code 99 song is just turning on us. Um, or if you, you know, don't want to tell people about the show, go on to whatever listening platform you guys do use and rate and review the show. That is big. It's how we get ranked, how people can find us in search. Um, if all of that is too much, you know, work for you guys and you want to get out of a little bit of work, become a Patreon. It's five bucks a month. You get more podcasts, you get CME credit, and you get some crazy ass calls that are coming up. One, including a GSW and another, including a bear. We'll just leave it at that. A bear. It's going to be very exciting. So sign up for that. That link is down in the description below. But hey, if you're really allergic to work, guys, there is a donation link down in the down below. If you want to tip the stream or the show, you can use the, the stream donation link or you can buy us a cup of coffee and send a cash donation that way. All of that helps to support the man bun that is the Phil Foundation. Right. Um, that's right. (laughs) We can buy him a new damn haircut. Um, our brand new medic materials merch page is up. So make sure that you're, you know, going on to medicmaterials.com slash merch. Uh, you can buy the cronuts, which you can see right there behind me, uh, stickers, water bottles. I just bought a bunch of shirts that now I'm going to start wearing those on the stream. So you can kind of see what we, uh, what we have. And, uh, lastly, shout outs this month to our listeners in Maine and guatemala thank you all for continuing to listen to our fucking craziness because that's all i can explain it as do we have hoodies yet come on so so we i have been looking into hoodies the problem with the hoodies all right is not that they're expensive to make or of poor quality or whatever like that it is that i love shirts that have front designs and back designs on them and hoodies don't have that they only have front design and that just like i hate that it it makes me bitter it makes me angry so i'm still looking into hoodies uh we do have i think some long sleeve options um on there lots of stickers lots of t-shirts stuff that i've been working with there's a brand new donuts one uh, a donut sticker guys. I don't even have any in stock yet. Um, they are that new and they're I'm awesome. My sticker package. Huh? I said, I'm still waiting for my sticker package. I sent some out. Uh, Chris is in the stream. He probably got his WW two girl sent me pictures. She got hers. Um, so yeah, I guess you're just going to be on my next list of people. I'll send stickers to, but, uh, I guess you'll just like them more than you like me. That's fine. Well, yeah, you know, it's, it's the hair, man. It's there. It's but, the you know, it's man. it's one no thing. Respect. Okay, it's one thing, Phil, for me to like you. You got me tattooed on your arm. All right? No. So, so you know, who likes who more here? Right. All right? Uh, no, no. Don't. No. 
before people think I'm like some fucking psychopath, you know. But you like are. The, like the guy who shot John Lennon. <laughs> it is not a tattoo of Mike Turek. It, sh- it sure as shit should be. I could probably get the face, like, covered up a little bit to make it look like yours. I'm I'm very surprised, Chris, that uh, you didn't get your sticker pack because I mailed them, like, last week. You should have gotten them. Uh, especially since one made it to Maryland before two, like, an hour and a half away. So, that that's, I mean, you know, it's the government. It's mail. Why not? It shouldn't work. Someone, someone probably stole them from his front porch. <laughs> the porch pirates stole them. Yep, sorry. You can't have nice things anymore. Um, so guys leading, (laughs) leading into, uh, this discussion here, I want to start just with when you guys get a dispatch that might, you know, involve a special, you know, patient population, what do you guys like, what is the automatic thought process when you're like, oh man, I'm going to, you know, a breather that might be on a vent at the house or a, you know, uh freaking MR patient or something like that. What do you guys kind of run through your head right off the rip? I mean, they all, they all have their own little special. I don't want to start it off the conversation like that, but they have their own little uh, special things you have to know about. I mean, a lot of them have, um, the parents or their caregivers are a wealth of information. When you get there, you, you, you kind of go, you, you approach them and say, Hey, what, what do I need to know about this patient? A lot of times, um, I know I've dealt with a few in certain areas that we've all worked before that you go there and you can say, you know, like, um, you know, what medications they on? what medications have you given before I've gotten here, you know? Because a lot of times they try to solve the problems before they call you to get there because they're they're so well-versed in the care for the patient. So by the time they're calling you, then it's... Uh, it's typically more problematic yeah. Yeah. Than, than if they had called three hours earlier or a half hour earlier or something in that nature. Yeah, so so at that point, you're dealing with a whole, with a whole different slew of problems. Um, I, mean, I guess one that comes to mind is um, there's a family of, without giving too much away, uh, a family of folks that have some seizure problems in the area that we've worked that, you know, they do everything they can before they have to call us, but by the time they call us, they've gone through their diastats, stuff like that. You know, if seizures haven't broken, then we're walking in, we're like, all right, so now we got to go down our path for seizures and. Right. And it's almost if, if you have been to one of these homes before, you know, the process, you know, that, that, you know, if it's a seizure kid, you know, that mom's given the diastat or, you know, whatever it might be, uh, that the kid is on. And you know, that the drill is, okay, I gave one dose. They didn't stop. I gave two doses. Okay. Now I'm on to my third and now I'm going to call you know, cause it's been 25 minutes or a half an hour and this kid's still, you know, nothing has worked in the home remedy. 
So you kind of understand what you're walking into a little better. If they are frequent to you, you can go, okay, if I'm getting called, it's got to be starting at this point. I know this is, this is where I'm starting. Phil, right. what, it, what kind of runs through your head um, when, when going into these kind of calls? Well, so most of the time with like people with like MR or anything like that, like Down syndrome, something like that, they have each individual has their own certain like triggers that like send them, you know, they might get like combative. They might, you know, <clears throat> have like those pseudo seizures, stuff like that. You know, like loud noises might trigger one person, bright, like the, if the lights are too bright, it might trigger another person. So it's like you have to really, you know, take into account everything like that you, you know, all the loud noises on the rig, you know, shit like that. And you have to like actually think and like kind of like tread lightly. Yeah, I I think with the with that it kind of lends itself and and we've gotten it in the chat already is detailed histories, right? These are things that we can find out and and Butch you already, you know, put it out there that like the caregiver is the wealth of knowledge, right? So we need to take care or not take care, but we need to take advantage of that caregiver, right? They know more about the condition, at least in the home setting, right? If it's a family member taking care of a daughter or a father, or mother or whatever, it's a little bit more specific than it is if it was a home, like a group home or something like that, where here you go, it's just, it's just a worker bee and they don't really know anything. Here's their book. Here's their, you know, packet of paperwork and so on and so forth. But with those specifically, those home caregivers, right? They know more about that condition, the treatment, the way we should be operating with this patient than we will ever know. So, you know, finding out where they were and how they can help us, I think is the best benefit that we have on scene, right? All of our protocols mean nothing if, you know, that caregiver can suction way better than we can or can operate the LVAD way better than we can or operate the home vent way better than we can. There's been plenty of times where I walk into like a home vent situation and they're like, yeah, you know, this is going on. I did this. I did that. And it's still not right. And I'm like, okay, um, cool. I'm going to let you run that vent all the way to the hospital. This is, that is your job. I'm not even going to look at you unless you need it. You know, do you guys can, what do you guys kind of feel about like caregivers? What should we be asking them? And like, is there anything specific that you kind of, uh, give leeway to with the caregivers? I mean, honestly, the, I mean, you, you kind of said like nursing home versus special care facilities. I find a lot of times the special care facilities, like the group homes and stuff, those providers are a lot of times smaller populations. So those, those care providers know a lot more about those, those residents than they do at nursing homes. Nursing homes, you go there and it's the usual, not my patient, just got here, vacation, blah, 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 you know, the excuses. But if you go to the group homes, a lot of times those caregivers and providers know a, a lot about those patients. They can, they can usually tell you everything you, they, you know, 
feeding times, you know, bathroom rotations, whatever. I find that to be more true about those places. So if if they want to come with you to the hospital and take care, you know, do certain things for that patient, that way the hospital keep that person comfortable, hop on board because, you know, that that patient may be more comfortable with that provider in the back of my rig than they are with a guy they don't, they've never seen before, you know? Right. And depending on like what, right. And kind of depending on what their history is. Right. So like you might get a patient that is MR and has those triggers and knows this person and can keep them calm, knows how to keep them calm. Whereas we might set them off. Right. Right. So it's almost, you know, beneficial to, Hey, yep. I'm going to, I'm going to leave care in your hands unless I have to do something, you know, Phil, what about you with caregivers in general? So the agency I used to work for, we had a regular, I wouldn't say kid, but like a teenager, maybe 15 or 16 who was on a home ventilator through a trait collar. And I mean, I had gone through, you know, the vent class and all that, but like the amount of knowledge and I guess you could say like troubleshooting that the patient's mother had with their home vent was just astronomically more than I could ever get from a basic ventilator, a basic ventilator class. So I think it's, you know, if they step in to like do something or you know, tell you like, Hey, just so you know, like you have to do this, then I don't take as much offense to it as like, you know, someone's mother-in-law saying like, Oh, well, I'm a nurse at a nursing home. You should do it this way. You know, (laughs) that, that shit pisses me off. But like (laughs) when it's, you know, a special population type of patient, then. Yeah. I think, you know, I think we ha- we have to give them a lot of leeway, right? They are there specifically to assist us in that in that sense, you know? Like going in finding out history cuz a lot of times like a lot of these special patients that have wild and crazy diseases, we have never heard of them before. There I couldn't tell you how many countless times I have walked into a house Uh, For, you know, something as simple as diff breather, I walk, you know, around the corner and I see this giant hospital bed with somebody that's been in there since 1972 and their caregiver is like, okay, this is Johnny. And I'm like, cool. Hi, Johnny. And Johnny's drooling or whatever. And, you know, I'm like, what kind of history do they have? I'm thinking, you know, all these normal things and they're, they're rattling off some, you know, disease that three people in the world have. And I'm like, what? And and then they go into the, you know, Britannica encyclopedia on this one disease. Cause they've dealt with it for 20 years. So, you know, it's a learning experience for us too, right? Like w- there's times where I have to Google stuff. Cause I don't know what it is. Again, you'll never have to, you'll never have to Google Von Willebrands ever again. Nope. No. And you know what? I'll tell you, so I took your advice and, and threw that out as the last Friday trivia. And uh, and I, I'm, I must say that people were right on top of it. 
I don't know if they just knew it because they're smarter than me or if they uh, actually listened to the to the one podcast. But, yep, there were people that were like, yep, this is, this is a, a disease that, you know, affects clotting. And they couldn't tell me which clotting factor, but they were like, this is this affects clotting and you you bleed more with this and I was like man people are people are on point so yeah, yeah good for them they knew more than me um, so I, I kind of want to talk about like specific uh, if we get to them I want to talk about four specific patient populations within the special challenge population uh, and the first one being, you don't really think about it like a special challenge, a special population, but the morbidly obese, right? That is a special population, right? We need different tools to take care of them, right? We need different equipment. We need different assessments. You know, we have our own, you know, treatment plans for them and health concerns that they have and safety concerns for providers. Like, do you guys, like, when I think of, like, the morbidly obese patients, I kind of think back in early in my career when I was working city EMS, we had, we had a, a, you know, a bariatric rig, and we took care of some very large patients. And extrication was always the hardest thing with these patients. One of them lived on the third floor walk up and literally you would need the fire department's tower ladder to come in. You'd put the, the, the patient in a Stokes basket, put the Stokes basket into the tower ladder bucket, raise it up and put it into the house that way. That was literally the only way this person ever got in or out of their home. Right. So that's, that's a challenge, right? Now we have to sit there and go, okay, how do we deal with this? So like when you guys are thinking obese patients, right? The morbidly obese, the 500 pound plus patients. Like, is there, is there something that you guys stress over more with those patients? Is it their size? Is it the treatment plans? Is it like their health problems? Like, what do you guys kind of go to? Definitely, for me, it's more of like a treatment plan. You know, like, especially like respiratory distress and like failure. You know, their airway is going to be super fucking, it's going to be non-existent. I mean, you know, no neck, overweight, their tongue's probably fucking flopping all over. So it's. Right, like intubation is going to be awful. Yeah, even even like the simplest thing is like finding a vein. Like I've done, you know, 24s in the finger, like in the thumb on people, you know, 600 plus. Yep. I mean, you know, and I always get fucking eye rolls from a nurse, but I was like, fuck it. I got it, didn't I? Right. It's something. I couldn't tell you how many times, because like when you get that big, Right. As an ALS provider, now we're looking at it going, okay, I need access on this patient. Right. You roll over their arms and it's just four inches of adipose tissue and fat. You don't see anything. You don't feel anything. It's all like there's nothing there. Their legs are even bigger. Right. So, like, 
lots of times when I'm looking for access on that big of a patient, I go automatically to my secondary sites. Like I'll look hands, arms very briefly, but I automatically go to EJ's upper biceps, chests, like, you know, upper pecs, legs and feet or drill. And a lot of times you can't even drill them because it just pops back out. It just pops back out. I like, I couldn't tell you how many times that's happened where I use, you know, the, the yellow obese patient needle, which really it's just a, a large adult needle, you know? And yeah, it, there's four inches of adipose tissue. You can plug and drill as hard as you want. You ain't, that thing's not sticking, you know? So yeah, I mean, like even at a BLS level, ventilating these patients, right? Ramping them and ventilating them, sitting them up at 30 degrees head elevated to actually ventilate their, their lungs. That's difficult. Yep. You know, like how do we overcome some of these challenges? More, more people makes, you know, hopefully lighter work, but unfortunately sometimes getting more people doesn't work. You know, he could try to call for more manpower, but Sometimes it's just you and the patient, you know? Yeah, and it's that's right. Sometimes it's you, your partner, and the patient, and that's what you get. Or you and a cop, or you and a family member, right? Until more patients or more, you know, providers get there. I think, like, with, you know, with treatment plans, it really gets sketchy. You really have to think outside the box. Like, okay, if this, if this IV doesn't work, what is my secondary plan? What is my, you know, tertiary plan? Like you have to plan it out that far, you know? Hey, I, this guy needs to get BVM'd. Okay. How am I going to do that? You know, how is my BLS provider going to be able to do that? You know, um, do you guys have a big, you know, concern with crew safety? Cause that's like a big thing of mine too, right? Like, you know, I've been on calls where we have stair chaired a 650 pounder up three flights of stairs. And I'm like, no, like never doing that again. And there was like five or six of us. It's like, nope, that was stupid. Never should have done that. You know, um, there's been plenty of times where, yeah, that's it. You know, like there's, there's been plenty of times where people have tipped over patients, you know, just loading them into the stretcher, you know, loading them into the ambulance. Like crew safety on an on an obese patient is is a people, big concern. People get, people get broken. I mean, this is how you end up with bad backs, bad shoulders, bad, you know. Yeah. Bad. And you and, don't think about it the day it happens, and then you know, two, three weeks down the road, you're sitting in Ortho, New York, you know. <laughs> going for an MRI. <laughs> right. Well, you're, 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 I, I know you're joking, but it's, it's so true. It's so serious. Like, you know, uh, again, going back in the, in the Wayback machine, like there's, there's been times where, you know, we have loaded the patient in a Stokes basket in the hospital and then drove their, drove the ambulance and backed it right up to their back deck. So all we had to do was lift it like six inches from the stretcher and then just slide them through their house until we could get them, you know, to where they need to go. And then like 18 people lifted up onto this, onto the bed or whatever. Like 
Yeah, it's it's wild the things like removing walls. Like how many times have you seen that in cardiac arrest? Like the hoarder's house with the 800 pounder in the back bedroom and you can't get them out, you know, but you're like, okay, I'm going to secure this unseen. And then 23 minutes out of 25, they get pulses back. And now you're like, well, great. Now where am I going to go? You know, didn't that happen to you, Phil? Like, I feel like that's happened to you. I, I think it has. (laughs) It, it it has so you know a little bit of a you know story time the first when i first became a medic i was going you know second second do do medic i was in the fly car and this woman was like easily 800 i mean she was big like mama june big oh man and it was you know that bermuda triangle wedged between the shower and the be- and the toilet. And now when I say wedged, I don't mean like, you know, little Mima, you know, curled up in the ball and you got to like slide her out. No, I mean like seven of us, you know, trying to yank her up and all the rolls are getting stuck in all these different spots. And the fire department ended up using the, you know, their, I'm not a fireman, so don't laugh at me. They're big saw. (laughs) The the big saw. Not the small saw, the big one. That thing. That thing. And they (laughs) cut the entire wall of the bathroom. And they're like, oh, just in case. And I look over at the monitor, and sure as shit, it's an organized rhythm. Yeah, it's like, you know, just just imagine, like, doing – it was brought up in the chat a couple things. It's – they're making me laugh in the chat here, but vital signs, right? Just taking BLS vital signs, right? How hard is it to feel a pulse on an arm that's the size of my head, right? Or just finding a blood pressure cuff that fits. When you use the thigh cuff on the forearm, it right. really fits. Yeah. Like, and who I'm- even has thigh cuffs nowadays? Shut up, you. Nobody cares. All right. <laughs> I see how it is. <laughs> Like, but you know, but yeah, like it's, it's so difficult in just doing basic things, you know, a blood pressure that we all take for granted is, is so hard on a bariatric patient, right? A difficulty breathing, you know, obese patient is probably my worst nightmare. Mm-hmm. especially when they're like CHFers and you walk in and they're pale and ashen and they're diaphoretic and like they're you, you can, own. yeah, they're gargling and you're just like, oh, please don't die. Like well, another, another thing is like the, like, you know, patient compassion. Like I can deal with a lot. But when it's like my eighth time lifting this person up, trying to put them in the rig, I kind of lose my patience. Uh, that's fair. So, I mean, I, it's kind of hard to explain, but like, don't be a dick. I, like, um, on, yeah. bol- on both sides, even. Like, yeah. Don't. I'm not trying to and- sound like an asshole, but. <laughs> Listen. Listen. <laughs> but I'm going to be. So, like, you know, you're sitting there and, you know, you could say to yourself, you know, oh, this fat fuck, blah, blah, blah. 
fucking Shamu over here. Got out of SeaWorld. <laughs> I have sure. a lot of them in my back pocket, you know. Sir, if you just need a sale, this would be so much easier. <laughs> have you ever not gone to McDonald's? So, so uh, there's, let's see, where the where the heck was it? So we were, we were talking about loading and safety issues and stuff, and uh, I have to bring in Blue Lion here. He, uh, they go, stretcher broke, and the company said it was the crew's fault. <laughs> Uh, half bolt was clean sheared. Now I have a hernia. That's like a third testicle. Oh, good. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Damn! Uh, I, had a, I had a, I had a dude one time. He went, if he was 650 pounds, he was an ounce. And we go in the back of an ambulance. I did it by myself. Cause at the point, by this point, by the time I got him out to the rig, cause he walks slower and, you know, a tortoise. Just, who walk? Who like, walks patients nowadays? So we got him in the ambulance. I lifted that son of a bitch in the back of the ambulance with myself. This week goes, remind me never to fuck with you. And I was like, just let's go to the hospital now. Yeah. Him and the stretcher just like, Badoof. <laughs> I can't say it, to- I can't say any any obese patients have ever fallen nope. with me, which is like that would be like I would literally my pacemaker would be firing off for like ten hours after that. With all the agita and stress that I would have. Like, it, it just, yeah, that's the way it would be. Um, so, it, anything else that you guys kind of want to add to to the obese patient? Is there some, is there, is there things that you guys have found that kind of help you through the bariatric obese patient contact? Having, having, having used to been an obese patient, um, I could kind of feel the, you know, feel where they're coming from, but also having been an obese patient, um, it's not my fault that you're obese. So shut the fuck up. I do what I got to do. I I think a lot of us have that sentiment, you know, in the like, Hey, I, I didn't make you this way. You know, please be like, I'm one of those that like, I, I respect everybody. You know, you're, you're a human being. I'm here to provide Mm -hmm. a service. Like I will treat you like gold. Don't give me that look, you fuck. Why? Like, yeah, don't like, even give me that look. Me, you looking at him. <laughs> um. However, like, okay, what oh, I do in private is not how I am in the field at all. I would hope. Yeah, him, him, <laughs> Butch. Um, but you know, me, it, however. <laughs> Remember that time you were unconscious and sleeping? It's a good look on you. You should do it more often. <laughs> I've turned into the, you know, Maha Butchie version two at Which is terrible. Lawyers. That's that's just that's exactly what they were hoping I will, for. I will have I have compassion and I have caring for every patient. To a certain point. Until you piss me off. I'm See, sorry. If you, if like a psych patient spits on me, that's it. You know. Okay. That's yes. That would set even me off, right? Like, so I'm I'm very patient, but you know, up until a certain point, like it's I've mostly lost my temper with psychs. You know, I can't say I've lost my temper with, you know, the human I, fucking I have, boulder, but I have I have I have compassion for every patient I have until you start getting verbally or 
borderline physically abusive with me, then I'll bet her off. But then, then, then we're then we're then game on. You try to Ooh, leave, yeah. yes. fight me in the back of an ambulance, then we get a problem. I I have I to. Detect. I have to agree with Butch. Like I I will treat you like you know a, a king or a queen or whatever until you show me disrespect. Like, I am here trying to provide a service to you in what you deemed was your time of need for me to come there. But if you're going to disrespect me, that's when all bets are off. Like, and I, will, and I will try to be respectful. Like, I literally had some guy one day, I can't remember what the exact call was for, but he was an asshole the entire ride. And I was trying to make it. comical i guess to try to, to try to break the ice with them i was yeah. trying to be my usual sarcastic self like he pretty much told me you know go fuck myself and blah blah whatever so i asked him what his name was basic information sir what's your name i was calling him sir being respectful fuck you you fucking asshole i was like so is that hyphenated you know like i was trying to you know <laughs> make it funny you know nice and it got down to the point i was fine i was like listen if you don't tell me what your name is they're not gonna treat you to the hospital and they're, they're gonna kick you back out as soon as you get there you know i, was, I, did, I got to the point where I, I became an asshole right and that's when he was kind of like fine whatever and i got the information but i was trying to be decent with him yep you know and but yeah uh, i think like you phil you were saying you know sykes you lose your cool with sykes a lot or not a lot but you know that's the patient population you lose your cool with for me, it's drunks. Like, uh, hands down, I could deal with Sykes. I could deal with, you know, all that drunks. Drunks drive me crazy because it's like, okay, if you can't hold your liquor, that's one thing. That's fine. But don't do it in public. Like, and then don't be a dick when I have to come because you face planted on the bar. Like, don't even, don't. Just be humble. Be like, yep, I fucked up. I'll be good. That's it. But they always try and be a dick. Like one of one of my first stemmies that I ever had in the field was a guy at a bar who was just sitting there and face planted. So we show up and I was always taught like if you have somebody sitting down that passes out, presume cardiac. That's the way I was yep. always taught. So I get in there, I was like doing my thing and I put the twelve lead on. I'm like, Sir, if you're having a you're having a heart attack, we should go, I'm not going anywhere and he started just like call me everything but white i was like all right this is how it's gonna be so and he ended up going to the hospital and being an asshole the entire ride to the hospital i was trying to do stuff like here do this do, ah, i'm not doing this i was like all right you could just die i don't care but you're we're going to the hospital so yeah yeah i like the the first time in three years that i have lost my cool at the place that i work now um with this, with this particular crew that I'm work, you know, work often with, they're like, you know, wow, I've never seen that come out of you before. Like, yeah, yep, I literally, because you know, the patients badgering on and on, you know, about this, that, the other thing, and I'm like, I, I finally just was like, you could shut up, like you could shut up and just not talk. Oh well, well you know, you're supposed. Nope, I, you have lost the right to speak to me as an adult. That's it. Just shut up. And like, I literally went into dad mode. Like as soon as I said it, I was like, man, I feel like I just yelled at my kid. <laughs> like, it was so weird. And everyone's just like looking at me like, 
Did he just like dad yell at this patient? Yes, I did. Yep. So going out of the obese population, uh, I, I will throw it to you guys. Uh, I have three other patient populations. We're not going to get to all of them, but which one do you want to tackle next? Do you want to talk about the difficult airway patients, those stoma home vent patients? Do you want to talk about the LVAD patient or do you want to talk about the MR patient? Let's toss around an LVAD patient. I've never dealt with an LVAD patient. I have. I, so I have dealt with one, um, I have no idea if they are still alive or not. Um, but LVAD is, uh, is an acronym for left ventricular assist device. Uh, it literally, uh, you know, pumps, uh, your left ventricle for you mechanically. So, you know, if you're in heart failure and are needing a heart transplant, this is what you will get, uh, because your left ventricle is completely and utterly useless. So this device will will pump that you know uh, that fluid around your body for you, um, and they are amazing machines. Typically, they are short term, right? They are they're put in from the time that you you know f- find out hey you have heart failure, debilitating heart failure, you need a transplant, to the time you get your transplant, and that's it. But there's been cases where people have been on LVADs for a couple of years which is wild. This is so wild, right? So, like, Phil, since you've dealt with the LVAD patient, like, typically, at least in our area, we know if there's an LVAD patient in the district, right? The They will call the ambulance company and they'll say, hey, um, I have an LVAD, just letting you guys know it's at this address. Not everyone does that. The, uh, the guy that I ended up having was in a district outside of ours. I went in for mutual aid and I just happened to walk in and he's got, you know, the bag and I'm like, what's the bag? And he's like, oh, it's, it's my heart device. And I'm like, what's its name? (laughs) And he's like, oh, it's an LVAD. And I'm like, I go now. I'm like, crap. Um, so kind of like what, what is your experience with an LVAD and, you know, kind of the, you know, the, the overall thoughts about dealing with the LVAD patient? Oh, we lost sound, Phil. Uh-oh. Lost sound, Phil. Can you, can you hear me now? Now we can. There you go. All right. So I've done two inner facilities from a local hospital up down, well, down to New York City with LVADs. And then I've done one 911 call, like scene call for an LVAD. Uh, The newer, the biggest thing is like with the older, you know, two year ago models, like you couldn't get vital signs at all. You just, you know, you would have to just listen, make sure you hear the tick of the motor and if they're talking to you, then they're stable. So that's like, you know, muscle memory, you take the monitor out, you know, you put them on, but you put them on the monitor, it just looks like you're sitting there shaking the fucking 
12 lead cables up and down. So it it is kind of bizarre with LVADs, like the the stuff that like you don't get to like it's it's the stuff that's absent in LVAD yeah. patients, right? Pulses. You you don't feel a pulse with an LVAD patient, right? Uh, the the impeller pumps that are that are spitting blood into the system run so fast that it it washes out uh, the the heartbeat, so you don't so, feel so you don't feel mechanical pulses. Go ahead. The there is one that you actually do. Really? It, so it's called. This is actually the one where I did my scene call. This is the one she had. It's called the HeartMate Three. Oh, see, so, that's an that's new, ish. So the motor actually pumps like systolically and dia- dia- diastolically. Oh, that's cool. So you can actually, it's not the best. Like you can still kind of feel where like the motor kind of like overshoots it, but you can feel a very faint radial pulse. Like you can, you like you'll you'll feel the motor push the blood out and then feel it almost kind of like suck it back. Huh. That's so that's new. Cause uh, so, and, that never was the case. So I and, guess at yeah. this point, like detailed history, what kind do you have? And those ones actually, you can get a blood pressure on, but you can't get like an EKG on. So that was my next, my next thing is typically LVAD patients. You don't, you can't register blood pressures. You can't register, um, you know, uh, whatever the heck they're called, uh, pulses, right? EKGs are super wonky if you even get them, right? And and defibrillation, they they say you should not defibrillate LVADs. You can do CPR, um, but they don't want you defibrillating uh, LVADs just because it can mess with the actual internal equipment. Um, and you mess with that. Like if that battery goes dead, they're dead. It, it's that simple, you know? Like that is literally keeping them alive at that point. But you, you feel like you need to say something. You look like you want to say something. Uh, like I say, I've never dealt with an LVAD before, but yeah, that we were always taught if if that battery goes dead, then that patient's just is, is dead. Don't do the CPR. Uh, but it seems like I recently heard that um, the the newer teaching is you can you know, you know do you can do the defibrillation the CPR on the patients and for some reason I think I've heard that somewhere I don't I don't know why that's the new teaching now but I thought I've, I thought I've heard that somewhere with the, with the newer models you can do the, you could do CPR and defibrillations and yeah so if the, you need to the heart mate I just for those of you listening I just did I did post a photo of the heart mate 3 in the discord in the general chat so with the HeartMate 3, you can do CPR on. They're kind of iffy on you doing um, defibrillation on it just because the – so the LVAD's actually – it's connected by a magnet. It's not It's not one solid piece. I'm, I might get a little nerdy here, Tarek, because I – I, I, I love when you get nerdy because it means I don't have to. <laughs> yeah. 
so that that magnet's connected by an electrical impulse from the motor. So their biggest thing is with defibrillation when you shock it, it can throw that impulse off and disconnect the magnet yes. from the actual device. So I know that the battery on the Heartmate 3 goes for about 24 hours without being plugged in. Wow. But, but, it's recommended that you go no longer than four hours without a charged LVAD battery. Yeah, I, that is one thing that, like, I, I have always been like, grab extra. Grab extra. Grab oh. your power cord. Grab everything. Because a lot of the hospitals, they don't have setups for LVADs, right? They don't have charging stations. They don't have batteries. They don't have any way for this person to deal with if that battery is going low other than plug it into the wall, you know? So, like, you need as – and this is stuff for EMS to think about, right? Like, you do it with with brand-new moms. Hey, do you have the baby's bag? Do you have clothes? Do you have food? Do you have whatever, diapers, all that stuff? You need to do the kind of same thing for LVAD patients, like – Hey, do you have your battery? Do you have your bag? Do you have your spare stuff? Like what hospital do you want to go to? Because like a lot of the hospitals, they'll just outright say, yeah, no, we, we're not taking an LVAD patient. So, you know, interestingly enough, I didn't mean to cut you off, Butch. I don't think he was talking. So the only hospitals in New York state that can handle an LVAD to the fullest extent is New York Presbyterian and Sloan Kettering Medical Center. Which are both far in away from us. <laughs> so doesn't doesn't Rochester do LVADs as well? Not, not anymore? anymore? Okay. So it's when a patient gets discharged home with an LVAD, they'll actually tell them like you are going to Albany Med for any medical issue, or you're going to, you know, Syracuse for any medical issue that you have. It's not, you know, like they can't piecemeal, you know, like, oh, I'm a little nauseous. I'm going to go to, you know, some podunk two-bed ER. Right, and that's and that's the thing. Like, it is, that is one of those things, like EMS providers need to tell people really quickly like, hey, I'm coming to this local hospital with an LVAD patient, right? Because they might even be like, nope, don't even come here, right? Yeah. I walked into one being an EMT transporting an LVAD patient um, with my medic, and we just, you know, brought them in. We didn't, this was the first time that we had ever seen an LVAD patient, and, um, you know, this was early in their, you know, in their, in their use. And like, yeah, it was, why did you bring this patient here? What are we supposed to do with that? One nurse even was like, what is that? You know, cause they had no freaking idea. So, you know, I, yeah, I think, you know, getting the ball rolling a little quicker, you can fly with LVADs. If they're really having a catastrophic problem, Maybe it's worth a, a, you know, a phone call to the flight team to be like, hey, let's fly them to the medical center that can actually handle this. 
You know, because most of them will try and go back to the place that they had it put in. But if that's, you know, if they drove down to the city and they live upstate and they're three hours away, they're not going to drive back to the city. They're going to call you and want to go to the local ER. So two more things with LVADs before I go on a tangent until midnight. <laughs> it's right. So, I'll, I'll just cut you off. It's fine. That's fine. So the there's a little controller on the it sits like right outside their stomach it's about you know like maybe this big and it's literally like just a little small tablet and every couple of seconds it'll cycle through all the lvad settings so like you might get you know a low flow alarm you might get you know a pressure mismatch mismatch alarm and like that's really all you can go off of for any like medical problems. So the person that I took up to one of the local hospitals around here with the LVAD, they were septic. And the only, oh, indi- the only indicator that they were septic is that their flow rate was 0.3 slower than normal. Yeah. Which all of us would be like, Okay, whatever. You and know, that's wild. You also can't overload them. So if you put an IV in them, they can only get 100 ml boluses. Right, because you can't overload the, the actual motor and pump. Right. The, motor, the motor goes off of a pressure sensor. Yeah. So when you slam them with fluid, <laughs> it's going to actually stall the motor out until the pressure is relieved. So if you fill, if you fill them up with too much fluid that their heart's going to stop wild. So you have, you know, you're sitting there with the dial. You're like, free. Just at that point, just do it like a, like a kid, give them 20 ML boluses in a syringe. Be like, yep, here's 20. Let's suck out another 20. Here's 20. That. Yeah. At that point, KVO it in at that point. Right. You know, so, so from what I'm gaining, what I'm getting out of this entire conversation is we did a uh, episode uh, a while back, uh, Maha's 12 leads for dummies or Maha's EKGs for dummies. I forget what it exactly was called. Um, we, should, we should do another one too. We, we, should, we should do a LVAD for dummies by the Phil Foundation is, is what okay. I'm hearing here. I so he that. can, so he can really nerd out. <laughs> so after I took that, you know, scene call with the LVAD, like I spent days, you know, reading the agency I worked for did a special CME because of, because of me. Yep. I like, I, there's so much knowledge that goes into, you know, a little tiny, you know, fucking like blender motor. Oh dude. It's like the, it's like my pacemaker. It's, it's, it is wild how much these things can do that none of us would ever think about. Yep. It's just, it's insanely wild. Um, so So, go ahead, Phil. Sorry. It's, it'll be quick. I promise. I don't care. I got all night. (laughs) The last, last major thing about LVADs is every patient has an LVAD care coordinator and an LVAD on-call doctor. 
and they have a special card that they carry. It'll either be attached to that little tablet remote control, or it'll be, you know, like um, somewhere near them to their LVAD pack. And, you know, most of the time they'll go, the patient will go through the channels of like calling their on-call LVAD specialist and be like, Hey, you know, I'm getting a high pressure alarm on the LVAD. It keeps going off. Like, what do I do? But they're always available for us to call. And I mean, like they'll break it down like Barney, like stupid person style. Oh, I love that. I love when there is a phone number to call like that. Like I love it for the pacemakers, right? We have the same thing. You call the patient's cardiologist. You're like, Hey, I'm medic. So-and-so I'm here with, you know, whoever they got, you know, this is their number for the cardiac place. And you can ask so many questions about their pacemaker or this, that, the other thing or device or all that other stuff. It's like, you know, it is just wild what information is at our fingertips that we don't ever utilize because we don't know about it and no one tells us about it. So uh, I'm going to jump down the rabbit hole here, Phil. Maybe you know about this. Maybe you have heard about this. I have never heard about this. Uh, Blue Lion, I, I asked a question on the chat. Any questions from you guys about the LVAD? Just throwing it out there. And Blue Lion uh, says nuclear-powered LVADs. Is that a thing? Have you heard of that? I don't think that's a thing. It, it, like, I've never heard of a nuclear-powered LVAD. Um, I've only heard of battery-operated LVADs, but... Yeah, I think, I think like, nuclear-powered would, you know, turn you into, like, a ghoul from the Fallout game series. I mean, well, that would be so cool, right? Like, so cool. Um, all right, so before we go, like, before we, we end here, we're we're running long on the on the podcast end of things, but... I want to talk to you guys uh, specifically just really quick about MR patients and communicating with them, right? A lot of times there is a, a lang- like a communication barrier, right? It, it can't, I can't say it's a language barrier, but a lot of them cannot communicate effectively to EMS or anybody at that, you know, at that level. How do you guys kind of combat the the communication challenge of the MR patient? Like, there's a lot of we've talked, you know, before about being patient with these, you know, with these this certain patient population. Um, is how do you guys kind of navigate that those communication challenges when they're either nonverbal or they kind of speak gibberish or whatever? Excuse me. Last um, thank you. Um, one of the pet peeves I have with it is sometimes you see providers talking to them like they're like two year old kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I've seen that before. Well, obviously, unless they are two year old children, but you know, again, use the people that are around them that know what their nonverbal cues are, or you know what their what their language they're speaking are like parents and providers, they, they know what they're saying. They know what they're doing. They know what they're acting. You know, they're the ones that are going to know what's going on. You know, ask them, what does this mean? What are they saying? What, you right. know, what are, use those people. Yeah. Obviously, obviously if they're out wandering the streets by themselves, you have no idea, then you're going to have to do what you can, you know, the best you can, but 
use the people around them. They know what's what's going on. And I mean, they're they're also if they're nonverbal, I've noticed they are extremely extremely smart at understanding what you say. You know, like it might you might have to dumb it down a little bit. Like there's been there's been a lot of times where I've had like the nonverbal MR patient, you know, and I'll just stand there and be like, you know, does this hurt? And like I'll point to my to my head. Yeah. Does this hurt? Point to my chest, you know, point to my stomach. Does this hurt? And I mean, like, they'll either shake their head yes or no. A lot of them can, you know, write on a whiteboard or like a notepad. Yeah. So, and, and I think using those nonverbal cues, right? So, like, if they're nonverbal and, you know, they're, they're for whatever reason, doesn't matter, you know, using things like that, like, hey, you know, does anything hurt? They can understand you. They're just not going to speak to you. So, you know, looking for other cues, are they wincing if you're touching something? Are they, you know, guarding or something uh, of that nature where maybe they're they're favoring, uh, you know, an area on their body? Um, you know, having that detailed history from the, you know, what Butch said, that that caregiver, you know, paid or family or whoever it might be, that can lead you into a lot of information, Right finding out if they've been sick, finding out if they've been eating, what they've been eating, you know, all their different habits. It really is piecemealing a lot of information together and making the best judgment out of things, you know? Um, Another thing is like, you know, yes, you know, you have to dumb down a lot of stuff for patients with, with MR, but it's not, you know, like you're a total stranger. They're not used to you. You know, they're going to be afraid. They're going to be on edge. You know, they could become violent. Mm-hmm. But you have to understand it's not their doing. Like, that's just how their brain functions. Right. Yeah. And, and again, you, you talked at the open about triggers, right? We don't know what they are. We have to learn kind of how to operate around these people. There's a lot of times where, you know, they just need a ride to the ER, and it's like, okay, I'm just going to sit here. I might put some stickers on them, but I'm not going to do anything, right? Uh, Unless, you know, absolutely need be. Uh, But sometimes it's just a ride, you know? Let the hospital deal with, you know, the major issue going on if there's not something you need to, you know, seriously fix in the moment. Um, So let's see. Um, Looking at the chat here before we end... Uh, Chris says, uh, one of his neighbors are like that, had a bad accent and TBI and his wife is amazing at telling us exactly what he wants, which is awesome. Right. Use those, uh, use those caregivers. Um, blue lion says sometimes they can simplify things. We all complicate. Absolutely. Like that's, that is, you know, we overcomplicate a lot of things, right? We dumb it down. They simplify it. It's an easier way of understanding everything. Um, WW2Girl says, I had a patient that was deaf, had only a whiteboard. My partners and I didn't know any sign language, both frustrating for the patient and the providers. You know, again, communication is one of those things that we all take for granted. It's easy to just speak and listen. And then when you can't, because, you know, they speak Bangladesh and you speak English. That's frustrating to everybody. You know, when they're mute or they 
don't have, you know, communication and, you know, maybe they only use a whiteboard. That's I, I've done calls where we write back and forth on a whiteboard and that's the only way we communicate. It's hard, but it can be done. You know, do you guys have anything else to, sorry to cut you off, Phil. Do you guys have anything else to add for the, you know, for the episode here? I think I'm good. Phil, what were you going to say? Well, I was going to say, you know, about like the deaf patient population. I think, you know, medic school, EMT school should be like basic sign language. Yeah. Like learning the sign for, like, I only know very few, very, very few signs in ASL. Like I know like this means doctor or like EMT, paramedic, whatever. Like this means like I think this means headache. Like I know very like simple simple things, but yeah, it I I one hundred percent agree. I have always said that EMT and paramedic school should also have some, um, and it like it, of course we all say it should be a longer class, right? It should be you know an actual education instead of these you know whatever classes we have now, but like we should be putting in there, you know, Spanish. We should be putting in there ASL, maybe medical terminology for both. You know, even if it's a basic understanding, I think that would go such a long way in being able to like, you know, communicate with our patient populations. It's crazy that like, me being 36 years old knows literally nothing about sign language. Not, I couldn't tell you what a P is. I couldn't tell you what an A is. Couldn't tell you anything. My seven-year-old came home from school and could tell you the entire ASL alphabet, right? A to Z because they practiced it. He doesn't know words, but if he wanted to spell his name, he could literally sign it out, M-A-S-O-N. He could do that. Like, that's awesome. I think we all should have that, you know, in our in our education. How, you know, how many times could we have used that, you know, in our careers, you know? Um, I agree. Police departments teach their officers Spanish, so why don't we do that for EMS and fire? Agreed. You know, they should offer those types of classes and it shouldn't just be like, oh, here's an hour CME on it. It should be a semester long class. You know, that that's just my my take on that. Do you guys have anything else to add? No. All right. So uh, we are going to we're going to end the podcast here um, for uh, for tonight. Uh, however, uh, if you guys are good with it. Give me a, a yes or a no. Uh, I prepared some trivia questions for end of tour. If you guys feel like staying on for another half an hour, you guys, we're, I'm going to, I need a refill. So I'm going to take a five minute recess. Uh, thank you all for joining us for uh, another medic materials podcast episode. Again, check out the merch page uh, and share the show. Again, it is miraculous that we've gotten up to 20,000 downloads. It is still a small show. You know, we're not Joe Rogan numbers here. However, the fact that, you know, we're giving out such good information, um, you know, in, in the silly manner that we do, 
I love this show. I love the people that we do it with. I love that you guys listen and watch us when we do it. So uh, till next time, guys, stay strong. Stay tuned if you're watching End of Tour and uh, Donuts. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you want more information on the podcast or to send us a call review, please visit medicmaterials.com slash podcast. To learn more about earning continuing education credit from listening to this episode or others, check out medicmaterialscmeacademy.thinkific.com. We appreciate your continued dedication towards EMS education and helping us advance the field. See you next time.